0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, people, the the lovely Joanne got me into this show, um, Hell's Kitchen. It's hosted by Chef Ramsay. And what's amazing is... I don't, know, I, I don't know if I'm going to watch it or not, because these people are just, they're so rude. I'm watching it the other day, and all they do is curse. Every other word is F, 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 and you can tell because it's beeping, and all they do is smoke, and then they go in, and they're supposed to be these chefs, and they're complaining to everybody how this person is, they're blaming everybody, and none of them can cook. Basically, Chef Ramsay, I guess, is going to give these people like a $250,000 job to be a chef at his restaurant, and I can't, these people were burning pizzas the other night, so if, if you watch it, you know, tell me what you think, send me. Email Cooper at indy100 because I mean I do like Chef Ramsay though because he's always like you back in line and I always think he must be a real mean dad or he's really nice. Anyway, enough about that. We have a great show today. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know Ray Lazier was on and his side project KXM. Uh, Doug is in his in the band. So Doug, how you doing? Hey, I'm here. How you doing? It's good, man. I, I was <laughs> I was reading about you. What a. Uh, what a cool upbringing. I mean, I was you know, I, I, I did my research on Wikipedia. Now, I don't know if this is true, but you had 17 half-brothers and sisters? No, 14. Okay, 14. Okay, they said, see that 17. See, Wikipedia always gets a few
1: off. <laughs> they do. I, every time I go in there and look at it, I, I, I say, who comes on here and says these things <laughs> about me? They don't even know me. <laughs> but no, ser- seriously, um, I, I've always learned that any interview or anything that uh, you say in public... It usually gets changed, uh you know, immediately if it's written down. And you know, and the, the legends continue. You know, just think about all the leg- rock legends stories that you hear that aren't true.
0: <laughs> you Like, what are some?
1: What are some you've heard? Because
0: you've been you've played for a long time. What are some stories you've heard that aren't true?
1: Oh goodness, you know. I honestly can't remember at the moment. Okay, no so um, I remember that the first time it ever, I ever noticed it, though, was I was producing a band from Poland, and, uh, and I had never met them. And this was like maybe a year ago. And uh, we were in the studio, and they kept telling me these stories that never happened, that, these stories that they had learned about us. And I can't remember what the stories were, and I <laughs> wanted to remember them so bad. Um, but, true, but, but it does happen all the time.
0: Now, now you were you were raised by your uh, great-grandmother? Yes. And so in a very religious home. Very religious. Okay, so now, was music very involved in your home when you were younger? I know it said you started playing mm-hmm. early, the, the sax and stuff like that, but was was a religious in going to the church? Was music very involved? Because I know a lot of it's Baptist, right?
1: Yeah, but the honest truth is, is um, growing up with my grandmother for the f- first 14 years of my life, I went to a really boring church, and I sat in the front row and listened to the preacher yell at me about, Everything that was wrong, dancing, Elvis Presley, okay. being gay, whatever, you know, it was all y'all going to hell. And that's all I ever remembered. When I got home, my grandma wouldn't let let anybody play any music in the house. and it, Well, basically, it was just me and her anyway. And at that point, she didn't allow anything other than uh, Christian music in the house. But in the 50s nobody had records, nobody had record players, really, I mean, a few people did, and people in my family did, but my grandmother didn't. So there was really very little music in in the house that I grew up in. Now, when I left the house and went to visit relatives, oh, music was everywhere, every genre, everything you could think of, and that's where I soaked it all up at. And going to high school, or grade school, um, you know, my teachers, uh, music teachers, saw that I could sing and pitch. And from a little child, and they would always make me sit in different sections, the, the the tenor, the the soprano or the baritone, whatever, because I always sang the part. And she always wanted me to help that section sing as a little kid. So they always took me under my wing. And that was a good thing about it. There was, there was always art, art teachers and music teachers that just... Seemed to love what I did, and they gave me the encouragement and taught me a lot of things, music theory and the things, those things. Just a little kid who's a sponge sitting there going, what's that, teacher? And they, well, this is a C chord, you know, and I, I just learned it all. But I was 23 when I started playing bass.
0: Okay, so, so you were young, you were singing, and they, people saw that you had a talent and yeah. you had the voice and, mm-hmm. they, and luckily they took you under your wing because yes. there's no music in your house so <laughs> right. it's not, it's not, could you even practice at home or would your no. grandmother yell at you uh,
1: well she, uh, you know I hate to paint a terrible picture but I think she was getting close to getting Alzheimer's okay. and I think sometimes she didn't know who I was All or, right. or, and so I was treated in a way that I didn't understand now as a, as a grown man I look back and go there must have been a problem there but she just treated me like I didn't exist or she didn't know me a lot of times which really messed up my head. Well, Alzheimer's can do that. My mother's going through that right now. And it's, oh, I'm sorry. it's
0: but I mean she's 84 and you know uh-huh. and it's fine but and it's for a kid it must be very hard because as you get older at my age I get very frustrated because you know just I called her on Easter and just the conversation you know five times. So you're in Burbank. You're in Burbank, you know, and you sit uh-huh. there and but but then you sit there and when you're a kid I'm sure it, it was it was probably hurtful and you didn't know what was going Oh,
1: yeah. And as, yeah, and as an adult, you can't get mad because it's like, it's my mom, you know? Yeah, not anymore. I don't get upset about it. I really held it against her for years and years until I put two and two together. Actually, my mother and I talked about it about three years ago, and uh, we were starting to talk about how she was forgetting things and stuff, and so that had to be the reason, you know? And, and uh, she was in her late 60s okay. when I left.
0: Okay. So, so you're, in, you're in, when you go to get older and you start singing in school, mm-hmm. okay, now when do you start really getting into the singing? Like, say, you know, as a kid, it's one thing. You don't really have no, to No, 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 no.
1: Honestly, seriously, my mother says I was singing before I could talk. Okay. And I cried when they turned the record player off when, when I did live with my mom for the first three years of my life. Um, she told me, she said she always wondered what I was going to grow up to be like because she knew there was something going on with me that she didn't understand. Um, my, my dad's side is really musical. Okay. They're, they're, they can dance, they can sing, they can do anything. None of them do anything, but they can do that. And my mom's side is more analytical, very intelligent people. They don't, they don't. It, the music thing is, they like it, they get it, but nobody really plays music in Scotland. So, so I didn't under, they didn't understand me, and I didn't understand why they wouldn't let me enjoy music. But my point is, I've been singing all my life. Even as a kid before I went to school, I remember I would sing something, and a little old lady would, would stoop down to me with tears in her eyes saying, I've got a gift. And I've always been told that all my life. That must be great.
0: I mean, that's. that's I mean, it, it must be a little scary at it times. It was
1: scary, and and, and and the thing is, here is the deal: people, you know, give me compliments, and 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 you know, I, I, I've done a lot of things vocally, and uh, I don't get it. I listen to my voice, and it I'll give you a scenario: I have a friend who's really, really good looking, and I said, "What's it? What's it like to grow up and look in the mirror at your face? Because you know, just everybody knew." And he says to me, he goes, oh, I've been looking at that face all my life. It's just my face. That's funny. And that's the way my voice is. I, I've been singing all my life. It's no big deal. Uh, I'm glad that people like what I do, and it's very encouraging, and it keeps me doing what I do. But I would do this. You know, I ride in the car. I, I, the funny thing is my friends when I was growing up used to make me not sing because I sang so much all the time that's I like mean, me and
0: talking people you know, are like Steve be quiet yeah
1: shut up Doug come on even my mom would get upset at me I started, when I moved in with her when I was a teenager she'd go would you quit that and you can't sing anyway because you know I, I mean literally I was annoying but here I am so when, 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 when did you start your first band was that in high school actually yeah my best friend uh, said hey Doug I'm starting this band want to sing in it and I go I can't sing he goes yes you can I go, nah, I'm not gonna do it. He says, "No, come on over and check it out." So he came over, he handed me a mic, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs>
0: what, uh, what kind of music were? I mean, what kind of music were, you, were your influences back when you started a band in high school? When you get older, what were you sitting there going,
1: "We want, we gotta sing this." Well, we the first group actually I was in, I was uh, about 16, and we 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 sounded like the Temptations. It was five of us, and we did all the moves and the whole deal and sang along with the records. Uh, then a few years later, my friend got a bunch of guys with instruments, and so we got together and we were doing slang family stone chicago transit authority blood sweat and tears because we had brass and keyboards and sly and family stone was one of my favorite bands so that's the kind of thing that was happening we we you know we tried to dabble into rock as much as we knew but we were really into soul music at that time
0: so you're going to high school mm-hmm. and then it says you went to college yeah for
1: two semesters in I did. florida uh, no, in Chicago.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, what was your, what was your major? Did you want to go for music?
1: I, yeah, I majored in art and music. Uh, I I got a C in music theory and and didn't do anything else. Um, I got I flunked art classes because my teachers wanted me to do five to ten hour paintings and drawings, and I could do them in ten minutes, and they would always say I didn't take time. And when I would take a painting home and lie to them and say this is like an eight-hour drawing and do it in five minutes, they give me an A plus on it. That's funny. So I I got tired. I just said, "Ah, this is this is crazy." And as for music theory, all I wanted to know was, you know, the basics. And at that point, because I've been doing what I do for so long, and I was a pretty, uh, I was one of those kids back then that you couldn't tell them nothing you know i didn 't think I knew the world, but i w- I wanted to figure everything out myself i didn 't want anybody showing me nothing and so I had a hard time listening to my teachers all the time and I should have
0: <laughs> well it 's funny about theory because uh, Ray Lazira talked mm-hmm. about that too how like when he he just learned to play, so when he took theory and I, I know I get it from a lot of very good musicians a lot of them they don't really they never learned theory because they were just good and they didn't have to go and it sounds it sounds weird to say that but when some people are you know not a a prodigy let's say they don't need to go through all that theory because what you're showing them it's like me I suck at geometry someone else can look at geometry (laughs) And they can just see it. <laughs> Me too. With you, yeah, with you guys, you know, with him and you, you know, he drums, you sing. And then, you know, you eventually you, you start playing the bass, mm-hmm. which you picked up very good, which just shows you didn't need all the theory because you already had it. And I think that's sometimes the problem with schools. It's like acting. People sit there and they do this, do this. Well, if a guy just goes and just can act, so I know people say, if you can just act, don't even take class because they're going to take away that talent.
1: Right. You know, it, uh, I look at it this way. You know, there's two different levels of, of art. There, there's an art that people have to be told what to do, and and they get it. And then there's other people who are so obsessed with it, like sort of autistically, that they just kind of gravitate to whatever that is. And I, I've always said an artist is is sort of autistic in some ways because we obsess over things. I mean, why would someone sit there for eight hours and play a riff right. over and over again? That's crazy. But that's what we do, um, and that's all we do. We're so obsessed with this, and and um, You know, I tell lots of kids, especially uh, when I see that they're, I call them sponges. When I see a sponge like that, when I see a kid that's got that gift, I'll say to his parents, I go, this kid's not going to be a doctor or a lawyer. He might not even do well in school. This is what he's going to do. I just want to let you know, when you struggle (laughs) (laughs) with trying to get him to be normal, just understand that this is who he is. You know me. He's one of us. See, that's
0: cool. That's good that you noticed that and you encourage it because I think a lot of times parents, I mean, I was lucky. My parents, we were all artistic in some way and my parents encouraged it. But a lot of times parents, that that scares them. And it's like, you know, if a kid gets a C in math, you know, I mean, how many people you know become mathematicians, you know what I mean? And it's how many, and a doctor, you know, you have to know the body to be a doctor. You don't need, and with music, that's right. If if a kid's going to play music, it seems like, I mean, you think about it, the kids would the the musicians in my high school played all the time all the time time. it was like and you sit there and go wow you know and but it but it makes sense because
1: you you guys want it exactly right right and i couldn't focus on anything but music i mean i flunked everything from first grade until college i flunked everything and they let me through i don't know why they knew i wasn't stupid i guess that's funny but literally i i I flunk even i've got my first grade uh, uh report card i save it it's all ease, except, oh, that's funny. except art and music. <laughs> and then there is probably. a plus.
0: Okay, see, that's amazing. <laughs> so okay, so so you, you you leave college, and then do you join a band or what do you do? I mean, how does this how does this great uh, well, career start? Well, I was
1: dabbling in bands uh, uh, at the end of my high school uh, time, those four years. You know, about I was about seventeen or eighteen when I was starting to mess around with bands, just jamming. With just, you know, a bunch of guys in the neighborhood garage bands, but uh, then I just kept moving on and I kept finding more guitar players and more drummers and we just, you know, one band after another. Um, and every band I was in, I thought was the greatest band in the world. And we were going to make it and we sucked really bad. I just didn't know any better. Right. <laughs> but uh, I just kept doing it and kept doing it and ended up here, you know. Um, uh, yeah. Well, it says
0: that you formed a band called Servant. Was that one of your first? Yeah, play- that
1: was the first one that we actually thought that maybe we could get a record deal and the whole deal. Everything I've ever been in has always been a little left to center. I've, I've always been that way. And Servant was a Christian band in the 70s that... Played progressive rock music, which was—I mean, even rock music was of the devil in the '70s in the Christian world. So what what we were doing was even even beyond that. So every time we tried to get a record deal with a Christian label, they just go, "Oh, we you guys are just too heavy. You're too hard for us." And,
0: how did you find How did you find that as your niche? Were you—I mean, were you very religious, and or do, how did you find the Christian the music? Oh, well, and I, what I, what's I, the difference between Christian rock and and regular rock? I mean, there is
1: no difference in 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 the pure sense of reality there is no difference okay that's what i thought the the difference amongst the people that like to put names on things is a christian band is basically a bunch of christians who go out to preach the gospel okay and and i did this because i thought i had to do this growing up in the christian world that was my world and i just it was just a part of what you did later on you know i became very disillusioned with religion and all this stuff and i finally found my own way you know but at back then, you know, it was in my 20s, you know, so I'm still searching for whatever, wherever I'm supposed to be.
0: Well, now, you joined the, you're you in this band, and, now, and you said earlier you started playing the bass at 23. hmm So, okay, what gravitated, because now you're, you're an amazing bass player. You're mm-hmm, playing, like, you. the, the <laughs> two, the big, the two-armed, the two arm, but at the 12th tw- 12 Street. Twelve Street, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, but so, and did you, first of all, because you are, as we talked, you, knew you were good, you're musically talented, but what made you, and I always think, because, you know, you think every kid wants to be a rock and roll guitarist, or, like, mm-hmm. they want to be a drummer, mm-hmm. and you love the bass, because they're the, they're the ones who can have, like, the coolest life. Like, they, they, they don't hear, like, the, you never hear, like, you know just went crazy i mean you look at the old yeah. stones video bill wyman would just hang out and look at mick and i'm like that's the coolest cat around how did you pick up the bass, yeah, the
1: bass players don't get no love do they <laughs> um you know i've always been obsessed with bass as long as i can remember it's always what i gravitated to even though i sang all the time i was always when i listened to music it was the bass that i wanted to hear um so much that I would take a broom and walk around the house and play like I was playing the bass as a kid when I listened to music. To the point, even now, when I pull out old 50s and 60s records, I forget, or no, not forget, I'm reminded that there's drums and I go I didn't realize there was a guitar there I didn't you know There's so many things I didn't even pay attention to because I was so I was obsessed with bass okay I was well, finally you know I wanted to play bass so bad but I couldn't afford to buy one you know poor kid from the ghetto and it didn't, it didn't occur to me that I could work and buy one. It was, that wasn't even on my mind, because I wasn't thinking about a job. I, all I wanted to do was make music. Um, one, one time a guy came by my house and uh, brought me a bass. I was like 22, and he says, Here, check this out, since you want to play bass so bad. And I started playing it, and I remember I fell in love with it. He came back and got it about three weeks later. Then my best friend bought a bass for his girlfriend for Christmas, and he brought it to my house about about maybe three months before Christmas and said, Here, play around with this. I wouldn't give it back to him. Oh, that's funny. To this day when I see him, he says, "You know, Doug, you know, you just I could tell you just didn't want to give that bass up, so I just let you have it."
0: That's funny. It's like, you "No, know, it's mine. Possession is
1: 99% of law." I wouldn't I wouldn't give it back to him. I cannot
0: believe that I was that terrible. Yeah, now, now you, so you you think Servant's going to be a good band. Now you're playing mm. bass by then. Okay, right, so, and singing. You, so you're you're but you're not getting the breaks because the Christian labels for some reason are saying, oh, well, you're too hard for us, which right. doesn't make any,
1: I, I just... Well, know. back then it was, a, you have to understand, anytime, you, if you did anything outside of holding your hands together and saying Jesus in every line of the song, and if you were if you were loud enough where I couldn't talk to you, then you were wrong. So, okay. So, it was that dogmatic. So are you guys getting frustrated at this point? I was. The other guys in the band, I don't think, because they're all still Christians and they're all still living their life in that world. For me... What happened was the guys got married. They all started having babies. We were together for like four or five years, uh, having kids. They decided at the, right at the end, they said, "Look, we're going to maybe do one show a month, and rehearse maybe once a month. The rest of the time, we're going to spend with our families. This is what God wants." And so I went. Well, God, if you want me out of here, open the door up. And, <laughs> and literally a couple of weeks later, I got asked to join Petra, which was a, a real big Christian band at the time and so I joined up with them and then they broke up before I even did a show with them but, What is that? like? Well, I heard you, you moved there and then they broke up? Yeah So yeah. What, they, said, they said come down well,
0: yeah, They, the lead, they, they the, have to know they were probably arguing at some point. Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> yeah,
1: the lead singer and keyboard player says come on down to Springfield so I left everything from Chicago, I left my job, I left everything that I knew packed up and moved down there and as soon as I got there he says well we're not going to be a band anymore so we decided to play with Phil K. well actually he was talking to Phil Kage who was the one of the big guitar Christian players back then. So uh we joined up with Phil for like six or seven months and did some shows. And at that point we did some humongously huge uh uh Christian uh concerts you know in Oklahoma and stuff like that where some some really big thousands of people showed up and that's where I saw a bunch of egos and a bunch of people that were no different than what I was told were the terrible people on okay. the other side. And that, and at that point, I looked up in the sky and I go, you know, I'm just going to make regular music for regular people. This is just, uh, this is too much. Because, you know, you're taught as a Christian that everyone is, I thought everybody was perfect. And I thought everybody was, you know, everybody walks around with this smile. Oh, I love our God. I love God. And then when you get to behind the closed doors and see the real person, you go, wow, you're, you make me feel bad because... You know, I said a bad word yesterday or something and you're over here doing this and and all that stuff. I just went, wow, this is this is the way these people are. So I just wanted to I wanted to find a place where I could be myself, let everybody else be their self with no pretense and just get on with my life. And I did. So what did you do? You sit there, I mean, you're in this area, so, and now it's basically you're starting
0: all over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, a, that's the scary thing. Is I right. mean, Even though you're, the difference between, you know, you're starting over, but you're talented. So it'd be different if you start over and didn't have any talent. And you had played with people, so probably people
1: knew you were oh, talented yeah. and you had a great voice.
0: Thank so you. Where, do you, where do you go? Where do, you, do you have to well, sit there and go, what am I going to do?
1: Yeah, well, that's happened. And Jerry, our drummer in, in King's X, he was in the Phil Keggy band also with me, and he had did the same thing I did, joined up, and then we left. So me and him bonded, and we decided to stay together. And uh, we met Ty, our guitar player, um, at the college. And um, I called him up, and he knew who I was, because me and Jerry both had played at his college a few months earlier. So. so he was in college,
0: mm-hmm. and you were, what college was that? Um, was it a Christian college? Yeah, it was a Christian college in Springfield,
1: Missouri. So you would perform there. Yeah. And so he... Went to see you guys. No. Yeah, he had come to see us, okay. yeah. And our sound man, too, who, who became our sound man later. Okay. So you, he called, wait, you guys called him? I called him, yeah. And you said, you want to start a band? Right. And he said, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You know, to, to make a long story short, we jammed a couple times and hung out for a while, and then we decided to be a band
0: now it's funny my friend who I told you a big fan uh-huh.
1: he said uh,
0: you, you had to ask him about Sneak Preview I mean that's how he even oh, know yeah. the band was called Sneak Preview well we sneak.
1: were called Sneak Preview we, we were, uh, I named the band The Edge okay, okay. And, why you know, um, it was just a name that I liked and it, there was no reason, I just thought The Edge is a cool name, before there was a U2. Right. Uh-huh. And, and then uh, you're like, damn. Yeah, and, and so that was it. But then um, later on, we found out there was a rock band called The Edge. Um, had a record deal out. They, I don't think the record went anywhere. It was one of those, I, we saw it in a record store. And uh, so we changed our name, but we didn't know what to do. Um, We came up with a million names. And being in the King's X camp, you can't do anything serious when it comes to naming things because we'll just keep throwing crazy stuff out there and laugh all the time. So we finally got to the point where we couldn't agree on anything, and we got tired and agreed on Sneak Preview which is the stupidest name in the world and we knew it okay so but it was we, it's a joke was like, okay. Well, well, not it, a joke but I was it was like it, we, we just gave it. up <laughs> yeah and, and I'll tell you what when we announced it uh, at a club we were playing at uh, in Springfield we said the name of our band is called Sneak Preview and people it, it was like a, almost a dead silence in the club, <laughs> and afterwards people just went, "I'm so sorry," you know. And and we had two guitar players at the time, and one guitar player had left, so we had worked up a whole new set, and we were really nervous. And I didn't remember the words right, and they were all just obscure songs that we we were doing, and it just was a really bad show. <laughs> and right. and our friends let us know it. <laughs> so so okay, you go. How long do you keep sneak preview for? Um, I would. Uh, uh, Yeah, about four years, I think. Okay, so you kept it for four years. Yeah, only reason that was because about two years later, we moved to Texas uh, and um, got hooked up with a singer who needed a band. And there was a label down there that said, come on down and be the band, and we'll pay you. And so we went down there and did it. And after we left the singer, um, the record company continued to keep us on salary and says, look, just start writing music, and when you get enough songs we'll try to get you a regular record deal because it was a Christian label and we says we don't want to be in a Christian label we want to we don't want to be a Christian band so they said okay so we kept working on music none of the songs were good enough for them and they finally said you know uh, uh, we're just gonna let you go and at that time we met Sam Taylor who was uh, used to work with ZZ Top him and Bill Hamm who runs the was the manager of ZZ Top are first cousins and Sam thought, he he said, he said saw some potential in us. So he got together with us and we started working more. Um, and he says, look, you guys got to change your name. And we says, to what? And he goes, well, my brother had a name band called King's X back in the 70s. He so says, I haven't seen anybody use that name before. And he was very, really adamant about that name. So we just gave in and kept it.
0: That's wild, because you, know, you always hear band stories. And it's so funny, because it, it makes sense, because you guys were just, you goof around trying to make names. <laughs> and then someone said, okay... Here's the name and stick to it. And then, you know, then you start. So, so you guys start playing then as King's X mm-hmm. and there's three of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is, it's funny because three, I always think Emerson, when I was younger, Emerson, Lake and Palmer was three. The, yeah. the things are three, you know, the different bands. Cause there's not a lot of three bands. No. The police was three, you know, there's, but all, most three bands are really good. So you're sitting there and you're King's X and you're in Texas. Okay. And you're starting to record your own stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. So now what do you guys do? <laughs> we tried to get a record deal. Okay. <clears throat> and we were rejected by every major record label that there was.
0: Now, doesn't it, did that get you very frustrated or did it give you more of a drive?
1: No, it was just like, okay, what else is new? I mean, it seems like everything I've ever done has always been that. You know, it's uh, people, you know, one person says, this is the greatest thing I ever seen and heard. And another person just kind of goes and whatever. And so I'm so used to that in my career. Always. Um, I just wish it was on a grander scale. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it didn't it didn't bother me. Um, I didn't get depressed. I didn't want to think about giving up, I, it was just like, okay, so we'll just keep on doing this. I was 37 at the time. Okay. And, um, so, you know, most people would give up by then and I I just couldn't do it. It, Giving up wasn't a option. It wasn't even a thought. It was, this is just what I do. I'm going to make music and play music in front of people no matter what, where, it's on, if it's on a street corner. It's just who I am. So we just kept moving along. And what happened was I sent a demo to a friend of mine, and he called me up and says, he played drums for Amy Grant at the time. And he calls me up and says, dude, you know, I like your demo. I like some of the songs on it. What's up? And I go, well, we've been rejected. And he says, well, there's this label called Megaforce. They have Metallica and Anthrax and bands like that. And uh, he says, I don't know if you got, your band is will fit this label, but you should check them out. So our manager sent him a letter, or I sent him a tape. And Marsha Zazula, who is, uh, runs Megaforce, her and her husband Johnny, she saw the tape and it said Sam Taylor on it. She knew a Sam Taylor. Right. Not this Sam Taylor. She thought... That this was a friend of hers. So she said, Well, I guess I'll listen to the tape. <laughs> the only reason she listened to the tape, because you got to understand, back then, labels got hundreds of tapes a day. And, you know, and they, they hired kids to listen to them to tell them if anything was good or not. Well, that's and funny, I it- talked to some of these guys and they said, Oh, yeah, we'll listen to two seconds of them and throw it out the window.
0: And they know that's the thing is they miss so much. It's mm-hmm. like it's like different if you see like a comedy or something. If you see stand up comedy, you can tell right off the bat if they're good or not. Right. Funny. But with that, yeah, if you guys have an intricate song, they're going to miss.
1: It. Right, miss it all together. And King's X is one of those bands you have to invest in. You got to listen to us to get it. It's just not immediate. Um, so um, sh- luckily, she liked it. And um, next thing you know, we got a record deal. And now, that, had- must, that must have been very validating for you. Yes, it was. Yeah. I right. mean, <laughs> Megaforce Records, subsidiary of Atlantic Records. We did it. You know, I mean, literally, it was like, okay, we got a record out coming out on a major record label. And it was a big smile. And, you know, it's funny because then the second record came out and the third one and the fourth one. And it was like, did you ever, and we look at each other, and do you ever think we'd have four records out or five? Or now we've got 15.
0: Now, how, when the, when the first one came out, it must be very, I, I've always thought about it like probably, it's probably like a book. When you when the first one is done, mm-hmm. you, you have to do all the music. You you guys get together, so you get that done, mm-hmm. and you're probably very nervous because it's the first one. But then oh, yeah. once you get on your belt, you're going, okay. But then the second one, you have to sit, you probably sit there and go, okay. Well, this one has to be better than the first one. Well, I mean, how does that yeah, work? With, I, how does that work with you, with you? Did you guys all write together, or how did it all work? Um, you, did you feel pressured at all?
1: Um, yeah, we felt a little pressure, but uh, the biggest thing is we always write and we always have a lot of songs, and the, we had songs that that didn't get on the first album. And and then we had written more songs, Ty and I both, because we both write. And Sam, our manager, got together and says, look, this is going to be your second record. It's your sophomore record. This is really important. He said, because people are going to judge you for this, so this has got to be better than the first one. It's got to. So we sat down, and um, we didn't know what we were doing. We just, you know, I just write songs and play them. But he worked us really hard on that record, I mean, to the point where I could play all those songs in my head right now, even. It was, we worked so hard on that record. And as a result of it, it's um, touted as, I guess, one of our best records, Gretchen Goes in Nebraska, according to the Kings X fans.
0: Now, you said you both wrote, and you write a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now how do you guys decide what songs go on? And what is it? Does a label do that, no. or, or do you guys say, okay, we we want to do this song, mm-hmm. and, and maybe the label may not say, well, that's not a good song because it, cause,
1: it, you know, it you- is a negotiation. But luckily, we got everything that we wanted you know, um, on the record. Um, but yeah, uh, record companies will sort of uh, dictate what they want because, you know, they've invested a lot of money in you. Um, Kings X has always been a band that's always been out the left field a little bit, and so we've always fought for our freedom. And Atlantic Records was really good to us. They gave us that freedom. They did have it a hard time with, every time they'd try to put out a single, they'd always go, we played the song that you call a single. It's a great song. And then something happens in the middle of it that screws it all up, and we can't sell it to radio why, why can't you guys just put, write a simple song They used to always say that, but you know i've never listened to what anybody told me to a fault
0: but that's, that's yeah, but that's that's good that's what makes you guys different. so you have the first album come out, and then you have the second now do you start touring now and, or...
1: we had to start touring on the first record okay now Oh, we're... yeah, I, I remember the first tour in, in the in the u s three or four people maybe showed up to see us
0: yeah, now how would they promote that would they just i mean it's I always wonder like it's Rock and roll venues, like a comedy club or something, people will just go. They don't mm-hmm. care who's playing yeah. there. But music, most people, and that's sad because I mean, I you know, and I knew how Sparks guitarist Brian Crow, uh-uh. and uh, I went to see their band at the Whiskey, and it was really fun. But if if Hal and Brian were on my show this was years ago when I first no it's like three years ago when we first started out I wouldn't have gone I, I, don't, I don't go enough to see live music but then every time I go to see live music I go I should do this more but a lot of people don't go to see live music because they don't want to take a chance on a band they don't know right. and now for you I mean three or four people showed up what is that like playing to a crowd because you have sound man it's like does it is it deafening to you because it's probably so loud that you don't hear
1: people well I tell you we uh, back then playing for three or four people we played like we were playing for a thousand people. We always have, we always will. It's just what we do. Um, and as a result of it, those five people went home and told all their friends, you know, you got to go back and see this band next time they come through. You know, they played to us like we were playing in an arena. Um, and so that's always the good thing. The biggest thing for us is when we went to Europe um, on the, before the first record came out. Okay. And uh, Kerrang! Magazine had got uh, a copy of the record and put us on the front cover of their magazine before the record came out. That's something magazines don't do. Right. And they they put on it ushering in a new wave of metal and they put our faces on the front of it. And as a result of it, England just bought it hook, line and sinker. So about six months later we went to Europe and sold out the marquee and it was like we were huge there, which shocked us. But we realized that, you know, some places are different than others. America is a hard place to sell, always has been. But at, through it, you know, we got the MTV play and the radio airplane and stuff like that. So we, we got to, to do a lot of cool things and, you know, touring with Scorpions, ACDC, and bands like that. We we did some pretty big tours opening for people.
0: Now, what's that like? Because as I said, it, it must be weird. And it reminds me of that movie, um, uh, Searching for Sugarman, uh, where he was no he wasn't even in music here but he was this giant star across you know in south africa i think Mm -hmm. and uh so for you guys you're playing these uh, you're a big thing in europe and you come over here and i mean you come back and a lot of people don't go to see you so i
1: mean it's got to not deal with the ego but it must be a little frustrating it's just weird it's just it's another thing to deal with in this crazy rock and roll world you know, because, you know, you pick up a guitar and you sing and you just want to have a good time. And all of a sudden, it, people look at you differently, treat you differently. And it's sort of like then you got haters and then you got the obsessed that love you. And then you, you've got all this attention. And I, I've always said people don't need this much attention. It's not good for you. Um, and, and all of a sudden you start being concerned about what you look like, what you wear, what you how you dress, how you act. You know, because all of a sudden people are taking pictures of you and talking about you and writing, writing uh, articles about you. So it, you feel like you're under a glass jar, you know. And the only way to to get through that is to try to ignore it and do what you do and just try to enjoy what you do. It's a, it's a real weird place to be. People don't understand that you don't, you're not your, you're not your uh, how do I put it, people think they own you. Okay. You know, I remember one time uh, my mom was trying to get into a, a a place to see us, maybe about fifteen years ago. And you know, usually you let your manager run, take care of things. Well I'm I'm one of those guys that I don't think I'm a rock star. I don't act like one. I do things myself, even uh, our roadies make me leave the stage because I just want to hang out and change my own strings, you know. So I run down to the box office like a dummy to, to, to make sure my mom was going to get in. And as soon as I opened the door up to try to squeeze into the, the box office, this guy says, man, man, can we talk to you? Man, can you? And I said, dude, my mom is out here. I'm trying to get her in. I'll be back." you can't, you don't have time for your fans? I go, dude, I got to get my mom and she's in. You know, and he starts screaming at me. And I thought to myself, wow, this is, that was my first, um, uh, experience with people that don't hear you. They just they just see something. They see something else. And I realize that at this point in my life, okay, you've got to start dealing with this. Or when I'm walking down this street and a bunch of girls start running after me screaming, that's a guy on MTV. It's scary. I could imagine. It's so funny because,
0: you know, and I talk to a lot of actors in the show too that go through the same thing, that all of a sudden, you know, you're not, no one really recognizes you. And then all of a sudden, you know, people, and a lot of times, They don't know exactly who you are, but they know you're on MTV. Mm -hmm. Or the actors say, they're like, and they always say, well, what... What do you know me from? And the person's always wrong. Yeah, But so that's changed. But well, what was it like when you were touring with like opening for those big bands? And I mean, you guys were playing to these huge mm. venues. I mean, is that just such a high because it's just so much
1: energy or are you, are you a little fearful because, you know,
0: it's so many people that,
1: you know, I mean, how does that feel? Well, for me, it was it's it, it's like you're playing for a bunch of people that never heard of you before. Okay. So you're, you're still proving yourself. Um, those who like you, you know, their eyes are wide open. The rest of the people are out in the mezzanine getting their popcorn. So there's this still, there's this reminder that, you know, yeah, you're doing this, but there's still people that don't give a care about what you do, you know? And, and, you know, and that's what, that's what always keeps, I think would keep any musician or, or artist kind of level headed because everybody's not going to like you. And, and, you know, we could do a hundred things, right? and do one thing wrong and someone complains and it ruins our, right, uh, right, you know, our day, our month. And I'm the same way. And so, you know, there's, there's a humbling, there's a continually humbling factor in what I do. You know? Well, you know what's amazing about your guys' success is you weren't helped by the internet.
0: Like, you know, now a band can, you know, People can go to YouTube and see everything back. Your back when you guys started getting, you know, your success, it was word of mouth, yeah. and that's what uh, that's great for you guys. I mean, it says a lot about your talents, just because now, you know, you, someone can say, "Hey, check out that band," and the attention span is so short that people right. aren't, and they're not going to buy an album and listen to an album. They're going to buy a single. It's like I guess Yes is coming this summer. And they're playing three of their albums, and that was the whole thing. Like if, yeah. you, if you showed a kid now, if you gave Yes. They'd be like, "What the hell is this?" Right. You know, and so that just says something for you. I got to ask you though, how did, When did you change your name from Doug? I mean, how did? Because if people if you don't know, he spells it small D,
1: capital U, small G. Yeah. How did that come about? I'm an artist, and I've always drawn, and you know, I made up the King's X logo, and and it's just always been fun. And one day, I just put a small G and a big U and a little little uh, D. You know, like you said, and uh, I liked it. I liked the way it looked. And so I just started putting that on all my emails, just for the fun of it. And after a while, it just kind of stuck, and that's what I use now for the last five or six years, I guess. That's cool. And uh, and every now and then, somebody asks, "Why did I do that?" And I'm going, "There was no reason." It's, they want, they think there's some kind of deep right. reason, like Prince. Well, something. like like,
0: but like King X. Like, <laughs> how did you get name King X? Well, there's no reason. Someone <laughs> no. gave it to
1: us. That's all. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, you know, you know, I, I, a lot of artists that you've probably talked to and 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 i know can tell you intricately everything that brought them to the place where they did what they did i i probably could tell you everything that brought me there but it's subconscious right and i just do what i do one day i wake up and i just kind of feel depressed and so i write a song feeling down again you know it's just that it's that simple and for some reason, people seem to like it.
0: Well, do you ever just do you ever just sit down and write, or is it just it comes to you and then you write? Because I always say, for me, writing and stuff is—it's already in my head. I just never sit down, and when I sit down, I can write twenty pages.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, musically, I can sit down and write a song all day, every day. You know, continually. It's because there's so much music in my head. As for melodies and in vocal- and, and, uh, lyrics. I have to sit down and and dig inside myself to find the words and what I want to say.
0: So the music always comes first. Always easy. Then then you have to
1: say, okay, I have to bring it back. Yeah. Now I could I could write lyrics and then make a song around it. It's it's easier to write lyrics and then write a song around it. Okay. Much much easier. But I found that musically it's not adventurous because the the melody dictates, you know, a smaller frame of of a picture. And which is, that's where hits come from. But I've always been one to to stretch things out, to to let the music uh, be the landscape and to to go different places and then try to figure out how to put a melody on top of it and to tell a story if there is one.
0: Now, how did you... It's so funny because we talked about... uh Theory musical theory
1: earlier and how did you uh, not stumble upon
0: but you don't see a lot of people that use a 12 string bass
1: How did that come about Well, Tom Peterson from cheap trick? He's always played a 12 string okay. bass and basically it's three strings to one note. You just press three strings down It's not like a uh, guitar that you're playing. You got to find each all 12 strings you play uh, Individually, it's not like that. It's right, like a regular bass with the four the four string configuration But each string has three strings that are with it, so you press it down. So it's 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 a no-brainer. You just play it just like you play normal bass. It just has a, a bigger sound to it. But Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick has been using them from day one. And that's what was my biggest inspiration. See, that's cool.
0: So now you, you've done a lot of side uh, projects in yeah. your career. Now, and we're going to talk about... Uh, KXM. Uh, yeah. well, we're, we're, I, I, We'll talk about them now. Then we're going to see how you got to doing that with the side projects. Okay. Okay, because I know, I mean, you had, that was Pound something? or uh, Pound Down. Yeah, now, now, was that, was that how did, and how does it work with you guys in the band? Do you say, hey, man, because you've been together for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it just takes some time, and then you go, okay, and it's all copacetic with all you guys? Well,
1: what's at, what happens with King's X is there's always downtime. You know, uh, back in the day when we were really doing major tours for seven or eight months, we'd come home for six months, and we just there'd be nothing to do. So I just wrote music, and, and uh, I just kept writing, and all of a sudden I decided, well, I'm just going to put some of these songs out myself, you know, and I'll call it Pound Hound, like Dave Grohl did with Foo Fighters. Right. You know, because the first record that, that Dave Grohl put out was all him. But he named it Foo Fighters, and I thought that was so cool. So I just wanted to follow in that footstep. Instead of going Doug Pinnock's solo record, Pound Hound. And it was all me except for the drummer, because I couldn't play drums. And and, uh, Jerry and another friend of mine played drums, uh, a drummer from King's X. And I put those two records out. And then after that, I put two other solo records out called Doug Pinnock. Okay. Or three, actually.
0: And so so you've always gotten to... It's your continual writing. Oh, yeah. And I just says, write too much. You even said you played on a Christmas
1: album? Oh, yeah, several. I mean, <laughs> but you
0: played Little Drummer Boy? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. Sent, uh, yeah. There's uh, Bob Kulik out here in L.A. does a lot of tribute records, and he usually always calls me up to sing on ACDC Kiss. Errol Smith, I got a track on all those, all those uh, Van Halen one. Do they do it because yes, you have a great voice, and they say, I mean, why? I mean, it's it's that's
0: a compliment to you. I mean, people are saying, hey, come over and sing. You know, I mean, why? Do you know why they pick you? Just because they're big fans of yours? Or? I
1: hope so. Uh, but then on the other side, I just think, well, you know, they just need to get some has-been. rockers on there that'll do it for cheap you know and I go I'm here I need to I need to pay my bills but yeah I mean you know I I've never you know I've been asked to sing on so many things and I've, I've I've been so lucky to that that people love what I do especially my peers and music people in the music world who who really lift me up but it's still always a surprise to me I'll probably die surprised you know, that, that anybody even cared about what I did, you know. And it's not that I don't like what I do. It's just that I've never... Oh, I, I guess the point is, w- w- you get up and you walk down the stairs. You don't sit there and go, oh, my God, I'm such a right. great walker. Right. You know, it's like this is... People don't understand. I am so obsessed with what I do. I don't see anything outside of it, but it's what I do. And I, And when someone enjoys what I do, it makes me happy. When I get that paycheck... For anything that I've done, it's like somebody gave me some money. I don't feel like I work okay. for anything. So that's the best thing you
0: can That's best oh thing yeah. Even say. when
1: it is, I mean, you're sweating your brain off on stage and you're killing yourself, but it's not work. It's what I love to do.
0: So, what is one of the most flattering projects someone's asked you to have been on? Like what? Like that someone said they called you and said we want you to sing on this or you want what was? I mean, something that you went as you know, just thinking back when you were a little kid singing. Mm-hmm. You know, at three, was there anything you went? Wow, this is too cool.
1: I think the, the, the yes, uh, Buddy Miles used to play with uh, Jimi Hendrix. Played drums with him for a while. Buddy put out several records, and he's one of my favorite drummers and singers. And uh, I, I was just obsessed with him. In fact, the first bass line I ever learned was a song off of one of his records back in '73. Um, and so. Um, he died uh, about four years ago, and they did a tribute show for him. Um, and they, I was asked to to sing some cover songs. And I got there, and um, something said to me, "Bring you bass." But I wasn't asked to play bass. I was just asked to sing. Billy Cox is going to play bass, which is I'm going, oh my god! But something's in my back line said, "Throw your bass in your car anyway." So I drove from Houston to Austin to this this show, and I got there, and Billy Cox didn't show up. And they go, "Who's going to play bass?" I know the wow. songs. Wow. I got to get. A, I got to play um, three songs of Buddy Miles of his songs that I had learned back when I was a kid. No rehearsal. It was so much fun. But then, my favorite band in the whole world is Sly and the Family Stone. Who shows up? The drummer and the trumpet and the saxophone player of Sly and the Family Stone, and they did four Sly songs, and I played bass on. Wow. Them. That- the pit, people have pictures of me and they the grin on my face. It's like, I'm, I mean, I was in, I have never experienced that in my life. And when the horns came in, you know, I went, oh, my God, it's, it's right. them. That was the only time I've ever experienced that. And I've done a lot, of, a lot of really insanely crazy things with some insanely crazy famous people. But that was the one that really just, I will never forget it.
0: That's amazing. That's such a great feeling. And just because you said, I'm going to take my bass. Yeah. If that didn't happen, it would have been a completely different ballgame. Oh, no. That's awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so let's get to KXM because yeah. I know uh, Ray was on and uh, such a nice guy and just amazing. I, I, got, I just started getting more musicians on my show mm. because I had actors and comedy. I said, I want to get musicians. Awesome. And my friend Troy Patrick Farrell, who's uh, friends with Ray, um, he's over in Europe right now with the guys from Cinderella. Uh, Troy oh. is said it and my friend's a drummer and I watched Ray and it was just amazing what an, an amazing drummer he was I was sitting there going wow these sticks are breaking so how did you guys meet? because it's so different it's like Korn and George Lynch <laughs> from the Lynch Mob you know and you think Dawkins and 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 not, all your appearances are different. Like, George looks sort of heavy metal. Yeah. You don't look heavy metal, right? <laughs> not anymore. Ray, Ray does.
1: not I mean, no. Ray looks
0: like he could be like a teacher. I mean, yeah. the hair. How did you guys meet? Uh, how did you get this idea?
1: You know, Ray, Ray tells me that his favorite, one of his favorite bands is King's X. I think he said we were his favorite, but I'm not sure. Well, how you did can you ask meet him. Ray? Well, This is how I'm getting to okay. it. Um, so what happened was, every time we'd play, he'd show up. I mean, somewhere in the United States, he'd be there. And after the show, he would always... People would come out and talk to me, and he would always stand in the back corner and wait till everybody was done. Then he'd come up, and we'd chat for a while, and he always used to say, if you need a drummer on anything, just let me know. I would love to play on anything. And this happened for years and years and years. And I finally move out to California here, and uh, Ray calls me up and says, hey, man, come over to my house for a party for my son. He's one years old today, and uh, I want you to come over. And I And I went over first time ever hanging with him and George Lynch was there and we were talking and we said hey let's let's make some music and uh, so that's how that started Did you know George before or did you know of each other or had you ever really met him? I had known of him and met him a couple times briefly we just said hi and we exchanged you know numbers and told each other how much we loved each other what, what each other did but you know you do that a lot in the rock world you meet people and you go oh man I love what you do I love what you do here's my number here let's hang out sometime and it happens or it doesn't. Right. that's always uh, so funny. Everyone always says, it. oh, yeah. You know, you get, you get someone's number, and you're like, yeah, I'll call
0: you. And you never do. And then yeah. you see them like uh, eight months later, you know, I was going to call you, yeah. but but it's just it's a given. It happens in entertainment. We all just yeah, all do that. All the time.
1: Yeah. We're trying to keep that community going, you know. So
0: you guys start, uh, you just start jamming. And then, I mean, you're probably just having a fun jam session. Well,
1: actually, no. Actually, um, uh, we didn't do anything for a while. And then Ray call or George calls up and says, dude, I got a studio up in the mountains. You got two days, and Ray says, so "Well, I got a couple of days off from corn, and I had some time." So we went up to the to place, and just he had an engineer there, and we literally wrote like three songs the first day, and I think we wrote about five songs in two days, and then we came back a, uh, maybe a month later, I think it was, and did a couple more, and just did it that way. And all, all, all in all, twelve days we made a record.
0: So and another uh, three band, three person yeah. band.
1: Uh-huh. Now,
0: who do you? How does? How do you decide? Who's writing well? like it's you guys and King's X have been together for so long yeah. and you and Ty, you know, you know each other's writing style. Mm. I mean, you probably know if you sit there and you can give a lyric and if you drop it off, Ty can probably oh, pick yeah. it up. Oh, yeah. And because so, it's so so now you're coming into three guys whose music's very different. Mm-hmm. And I mean and, and Ray, I mean, before was playing with David Lee Roth. So it's right. not like you know, it's just very different. How do you decide who writes what? And do you sit there and do you just all go on your own and write and then say, Here's here's what we came back with. No. Okay.
1: Basically what happened was when we'd get when we'd get there, you know, you pick your instrument up and you start messing around with it, playing little things, just get your sound and stuff. Ray would start playing a drum pattern just to to make sure his headphones are right and I would go, Stop. I'd go play that one again. And I'd play a bass line to it. And then George would go, Oh, I like that and he'd just come up with a guitar part. And Pretty much, that's how we did the whole record. And, you know, maybe I would be playing a bass line, and somebody would go, "I like that," or Georgia would play a guitar part, and I'd say, "Hey man, keep that. Let's, let's play along with that." You know, and and no one told anybody what to do or what to play, um, because you know we've got a hundred years or more of mental notes right. <laughs> in our head of music, so there's there's no need to tell anybody what what to do. Everybody just sort of came to the party and threw their own. Thing together, and the only only challenge was is to uh, uh... arrange the song, you know. So we'd come up with three or four parts, and then we'd say, "Well, is this a verse of chorus? How you want to do this?" And we go, "Oh, let's make that the verse. Oh, let's make the chorus. Um, that chorus is that's kind of weird. You think you can sing over that?" Eh, yeah, I think I can make a chorus. Okay, let's keep it. You know, and that's we just kind of it was very easy. No, no, two or three seconds of thought. Just there it was. Um, I think because we've been together or we've been making music for so long all of us that it was just really simple
0: now the whole time did you plan saying we're going to make an album or were you just in the oh, beginning yeah. was it just so you said we're going to make an no, album we're
1: going to make a record we don't i see i it, still call it album but i just i, yeah, well, it I, think. I, I always feel, call them albums. i call it's... them i call them records but okay. <laughs> but uh yeah um yeah, we. I, I'm not a guy that gets together and jam with people. I don't have time. It's a waste of time. I want to write a song and, and and record it and put it out for people to hear it. I want to paint a picture. I don't want to paint a picture just for fun and then tear the picture up. You know, that's just the way I look at it personally. Um, because I've been doing this for too long. I've done my years and years of jamming with people in the early days when I first started playing, and I just don't find any enjoyment in jamming. You know, because either you play your bass and somebody does a lead. Or somebody else does a lead and you just kind of play your bass some more. And it's like, what is this? You know, I don't feel, I always feel like there's nothing constructive here. And I want to walk away and go, hey, this is a song we wrote. Okay, so now I, I
0: see you guys do the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You guys know you're taking a lot of photographs. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that come about? Did you guys, I mean, it's like it's so cool because it's, it's like, you know, they're all cool-looking photos, oh, but did, now do you sit there and
1: say, no. Okay, <laughs> d- does someone say,
0: here's what we're going to do, or, or do you just get a photographer and <laughs> goes, or does the record company say, we need photographs?
1: No, uh, George and Ray have friends who take pictures, and and, and, and Ray has uh, uh, one of the guys that works with Corn. His name is Sab. We call him Seb, And uh, he just comes along, and he always has a, Video camera and always has a regular camera and he just takes pictures all the time no matter what there's hundreds of pictures and 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 we'll find a couple really cool pictures and we'll put them up because you know but you gotta take a hundred pictures just to get a couple cool ones but yeah that's the way it is it's just I don't even notice I mean I'll I'll, they'll send me a a email of a picture go oh man we just put this up on Facebook I'm going oh dude that's cool I'm gonna snag it too you know (laughs) so.
0: Do you guys plan the tour?
1: Oh yeah! As soon as uh, Ray can get some time off from corn, and, and you know, and, and the schedule with King's X, you know, if there's time in uh, Georgia's Lynch Mob, and I have another side project called Grinder Blues, a blues band that we just got signed to Megaforce Records. So we're just, um, I'm just juggling things around. Well, how did
0: you find the guys in this other band?
1: Billman Brothers, they're called. Two brothers. Uh, they have two records out. They're called the Billman Brothers. And they, they're hired guns for blues players. And uh, we got together, uh, actually met at Ray's house two. Yeah. And um, one of the brothers says, so what are you up to? And I'm going, well, I just moved out here, and I'm ready to you know, just want to hang out and write music with people and just try to get some music in movies and TVs. And he says, well, we've got two, two songs and movies. We've got Grammys for them. He says, want to get together and write with us? We're Big Kings X fans. I go, oh, yeah. So I started hanging out with them, and we started writing together. And, and uh, since they're totally into the blues, I go, man, let's just have fun and do a blues record, something between 1950 and 1965, just, just lo-fi, just straight up. No Brains, My Baby Just Left Me, you know, kind of songs. And so we said, sure. And um, a couple friends of theirs showed up and says, look, let's put you in the studio. They were producers and stuff. And we just went in and did this record real quick. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we wrote all the songs at, at uh, um, J-Bo's house with the guitar player. Um, and it happened real quick. And so it's done, and we're going to put so it you out. you had all soon. these projects going on. So now, now what's up with the King's X? Uh, King's X, actually, we're playing this weekend in, a, in the... Uh, on the East Coast. Um, but I saw that you're in
0: uh, Sellersville. No, yeah, Sellersville. Because
1: I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Oh, awesome. But I, uh, yeah, check it out, you guys
0: are playing in Sellersville, yeah. and then you're playing uh, in two North Jersey areas. You're playing, no, you're playing in Newton.
1: Mm-hmm. And I forgot the, I forget other, the other one. one I, I, I don't even pay attention anymore. I just go where they tell me.
0: <laughs> now, does the, road, does the road get tired to you now, or just because it's been a long time, or do you look forward to because you don't tour extensively? Um,
1: I, I would rather be on a regular tour, on a regular tour bus, just doing three or four months and going out and doing it. But what we're doing is we do maybe three shows a month. We fly in. I hate flying in. I hate flying Um, it ain't that I'm scared of it. It's just, you know, when you go to the airport, you just feel like a second class citizen and just the way you are treated, and waiting and waiting and, and stuff. And I just, I just don't like it. And then you get to the, you got to, you know, rent a car, get to the venue. There's nowhere to rest. You just, it's, it's for me personally doing one-off shows are no fun. I would rather go on and just get Get in the routine, so for me it's kind of rough um you know i haven't I haven't played in King's X in a month, so now i've got to get home this afternoon and go over all the songs vocal in and and playing just stand in my room and play the whole set just to remember it in my head because we don't do we don't do rehearsals anymore okay and uh and so it it's a bit of a a learning curve for me differently, you know, but I guess both ways is okay it's just you know I love playing out i'm i i I don't get tired of playing out as much as I think my body does. You know, sometimes I just go, man, I don't know if I can do this. Right. And then as soon as the adrenaline hits me and there's people and they're grinning, all of a sudden it all comes back and you're giving them everything you got. So if we have about five minutes left. Sure.
0: So if you and KXM going on tour, is it going to be a big tour or is it going to be like just local L.A.? or
1: What, what, what is your idea for that? We don't know. We want to take KXM as far as we can take it okay um we've got some great offers i'm told um some festivals some european shows some japanese shows um and stuff like that and um you know there's excitement about kxm that that i haven't seen in a long long time uh in anything that i've done so you know we want to really uh capitalize on it and see how far we can take this
0: and you guys are—it is a supergroup because you guys are. I mean, they always use the term supergroup, yeah, but you are—that's what mean, they call it. But you guys are because you all mm-hmm. are great. I mean, I always—I always tweet jokes about a supergroup. You know, Johnny Resnick and Amal would be the Kajagoogoo dolls. I <laughs> do stuff like that. But you guys are an actual—you're an actual supergroup. So that's awesome. So the album now—the album is. In Best Buy now, I know that. Yes, because I
1: I follow your posts oh, okay. on Facebook. Cool. And um, iTunes, uh, Rad Pack Records. You can get it. You can get the record anywhere. Now, what
0: what's your favorite CD off it? I mean, your favorite track off it. Would you say if, if they said if someone said we're gonna go, we want to buy one track? What would you say the track for you is?
1: I think Faith. Okay. Any reason why, or just um only because um it it's uptempo, and I think if when somebody puts it on, they're gonna rock to it. You know, um, and hopefully that'll open the door for them to hear the rest of the record. Because, you know, you, when you pick one song, that's just not representing the whole band. Right. So you just want to give, you want to you open the door and make a goal. I like that. Let me hear what else you got.
0: And now when, do you have, do you have any uh, idea when the blues project will come out that you're working on? Um, July. Okay. And you're already in studio recording it? Uh,
1: it's been done. Okay, it's been so. done for almost eight months. We've right. just been... Uh, well, I I've, I've have an, I have so many other projects. Right. We've just been kind of juggling them around to, to make that happen. Because I have another band called PGP, which is Eric Gill's blues player. Uh, Thomas Pridgen who played drums in Mars Volta and me, we're called Pinnock Hills Pridgen and that came out about nine months ago. Now did you guys meet at Ray's house again? <laughs> no, that I, 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 I've, uh, I've known Eric for a long time, when he was like 17 he, his band opened for King's X 20 years ago and he's uh, one of those child prodigy guitar blues players and um, I've always known him but Magna Carta Records called me up and says look, you wanna, I've got these two guys here Let's uh, put a band together and put you in the studio and put a record out. And I'm going, okay, sure. It's So sort of I did it for the money, you know. It was a fun project. It's amazing that, you know,
0: when we talked about that earlier, about, you know, you, you weren't, you guys weren't hard, uh, you were too hard for Christian rocks. And it just goes to show that, you know, you got, you were resilient. And now it's like you have... Four bands. I mean, most yeah. most people could sit there and be like, if they're in one band that's successful, they'd be happy. But it, what's cool is it seems you you're excited about every project, which oh, is yeah. good because a lot of times people sit there and they go, you know, I'll just do that, you know, just because uh, I'm bored or what if this doesn't work out. But that must be great. But you really have to wear a lot of different hats on, on your musical taste.
1: Yeah, I do, and it's uh, it's a lot of work, but it's just. It's... What else would I do? That's right. where I look at it. I'm, you know, I'm really, really lucky. I haven't had a job since I was 30 years old. You know, I've I've made a living at doing this. i um, not a big living. I've not made lots of money. But this is my job, and I love it. And I just wake up every day going, dude, I get to do what I love to do when I want to do it and get paid for it. I, I you know slap me if I complain
0: oh yeah that's the thing but well, at least you have that attitude a lot of people are like oh well you know you know some people you have working in the Oh, just, okay, well, I, yeah, well, I, can, I have those though. moments
1: okay well you can though you have four bands so okay so give, <laughs> give your info like, are, are you on twitter do you tweet um, yes I tweet it's uh, <sighs> I don't even know what it is though
0: well you know people just type in uh, D-U-G D-Pinnock, Pinnock yeah. and then you'll find it yeah, you'll you find, find it. his Pinnock. now do you tweet a lot
1: uh, yes, I do, but I don't go to Twitter. I always, I always put things up on Facebook okay. and it automatically goes on Twitter. Okay.
0: And now Facebook?
1: There's Facebook, Doug Pinnock uh, or Doug Pinnick fan uh, page. Uh, we have Grinder Blues, uh, 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 KXM, Pinnock Girls Pigeon. I
0: see that, and he's got more
1: uh, and dirtier experience. If you look that up, there's a jam band that I have that we uh, we just kind of jam out for hours and hours cool. and record them.
0: Okay, I, I, I want to thank you for coming. on. You're out. welcome. So thank blessed. you, people. Uh,
1: God, follow him, please,
0: and follow me at Twitter at CooperTalk. Also, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have uh, I'll be posting my 250 episode up there today. Awesome. Also, if you go to uh, if you have an Android device, go to the Google Play Store. Type in Cooper Talk, one word. You get the Cooper Talk. App, all my you can hear all my things there. Send me an email, Cooper uh, Cooper at Indy One Hundred. Send me an email, tell me what you think. Stitcher and iTunes, also Cooper Talk One Word. Remember, every Tuesday I host crappy comedy at Jimmy's Place on San Fernando Boulevard in Burbank. And yeah, that's about it. I want to thank you guys for listening and have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget, you know, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vitamins. take your vitamins, and eat your vegetables. And you guys have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.
1: More um, mas...